I'm Sasha Sagan, and this is Strange Customs. There are many ways to make more of your own species in this universe. Many different kinds of young, but the creatures, the ones I'm particularly interested in, have their young usually only one at a time. And once they arrive, it takes them a long time to be able to do anything on their own. They require a great deal of supervision and assistance, even in the most basic life functions, like consuming sustenance. They can communicate in only a very rudimentary way, and all the skills they need to survive have to be instilled in them slowly and repeatedly during a grueling multi-year process, during which time they seem to have no concern for their bodily safety and frequently but unwittingly put themselves in grave danger. This is exhausting for the larger, older creatures who evolved to do this in groups. But very recently, they've begun arranging their many societies so that only one or two of the larger, older creatures are responsible for all the needs of the young. This can be overwhelming. So sometimes they find another larger, older creature who they do not know. But if both parties are willing, they exchange items of value for the care of their young. It's not always perfect, but it really helps. I grew up with somebody, Maruha Farhe, who I wrote about in my book, who lived with us for eight years such an impactful and beloved person in my life. And it is just when we take a step back and talk about this idea, it's very interesting and much more complicated than it can seem at first glance. Today, I get to talk to my friend, best-selling author, Kylie Reed. How would you yeah. describe what a childcare provider does to like an extraterrestrial or like a child. I think I would try and say, you know, there are these beings and when they reproduce, those little tiny baby beings need lots of care. <laughs> and so for real, ask other people to watch over them. But then it goes into, a, I feel like a million different tree areas. I remember my first babysitting job was someone saying, can you just look at him, please? I just need an hour. Just sit here and look at him. So sometimes we ask other people to just sit there with our little mini selves. Sometimes we ask others to uh, nurse them. Sometimes we ask them to tutor or teach language to little ones. But above all else, please keep this little thing safe while I am not yeah. there. Which even that, everything I'm saying has this big caveat because now, you know, I have a little one now, but I work from home. Right. No, I think that that is such an interesting thing of like, especially when they're babies, you cannot multitask. I mean, it's, you can, but it's just nothing's going to come out that all that well. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, even if he's sleeping, like just the threat that he might wake up, you cannot fully do anything else. I loved Maruha when I knew she loved me. But the idea that when there is an economic element, when it's a job for one person, there is another layer to it that just changes it. So how has your relationship with this relationship changed <laughs> from when you were the person who was providing the care to the person who is now employing the carer? I mean, first of all, it's wild. Well, I do think about the fact that I was a nanny from when I was 20 to 26. So one, I'm like, man, I was so young at the time. Like that seems very, very young to me now um, as I employ people to look after my little one. When I'm not writing, I am very good at taking orders. I love being a sous chef. I love someone telling me what they want. And I love like making their vision come to life. So I, I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, I was a very good babysitter. And I would text oh. all the time, making like stories and songs and everything. There were these little boys I used to babysit and we made up this game 
where we would play limbo. And if they touched the limbo noodle, I would have to tell them to do something, you know, humiliating, like sing a Disney song. And they would just accidentally yeah. touch it all the time because they wanted to like, yes, <laughs> we did. And so now on the other side, having a teeny baby, my vision of it has changed in many ways. The big way that really makes me sad is that I am now <laughs> seeing firsthand that this country does not provide the childcare that we need. Right. I had imagined I would snuggle my baby for about six months and then have daycare and they would make little baby friends and I would drop them off and it would be this great thing. I am currently on eight daycare wait list. Um, yeah. You're not getting in anytime soon. When I was filling out daycare applications, I had to fill out TBD, like for her name and things, because she wasn't born and she's still right. in daycare. Uh, one, childcare is not offered or subsidized here, but two, COVID wiped out a lot of different places. And so yeah. we do not have a daycare option and people keep telling me, maybe when she's two and a half. <laughs> Wait, what? This is crazy. So right now we are using babysitters. I also had a very rough traumatic birth and immediately we knew we would need more care because I couldn't physically like get up and, and hold her and things. Yeah. So we had two doulas who were amazing that would come and care for her. And now right now we have sitters as well. And being on the other side is wild. Like, no one told me, like no one prepared me for how much I would love my child. Like it feels like- yeah. Like, it's crazy. And so then it's like, okay, bye, see you later. What? How am I going to leave the house? It feels crazy. I remember like, the oh, first yeah. time I had a doctor's appointment and I had to leave my daughter with someone other than my husband. And it was like, like a part of your body's missing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought that I would be like, okay, how do I get me time back. How do I make right. room for myself? And now I'm like, let's be together and be touching all the time. Like I, that's yeah. like, that would actually be preferable to me. Like this is better. And I don't know about the first time you ever had her in the car with just you. I like saying goodbye to her from the back seat. Like I act like I'm putting her on like the Mayflower. I'm like, mommy loves <laughs> She's fine. I'm the problem, <laughs> but it's all so much more intense than I ever thought it would be. It's so intense. I mean, that's why there's 8 billion people in the world, but you're right. So much of the narrative is like, get me out of here. And like down the road, you may have those moments. I certainly do, but it's so deep in there. The pull for most of history, there were just like a million aunts and grandmas and sisters. You were doing it in a group setting. You were doing it with a tribe. You know, you were doing it with your family or extended family. And there were lots of little kids around versus basically like, I'm going to say post-industrial revolution, where we just like a very weird idea that like just two adults or in many cases, just one adult are going to like raise an entire child. It's impossible. It's no, very no. weird. No, not happening. And so, and it's like, so you had all these people who loved the baby just around for so much of history. And it's like, this is this new thing. And I'm going to say something a little controversial. Tell me what you think about this. So here's this thing, this act, child care, that was for eons done out of love. But we are sometimes in a situation now where the person who uh, another person to love that child, like to take care of them from based on their own volition, just because they really want to is not always available. Mm -hmm. And so there is a transaction an economic transaction that can happen instead. I think that there could be a parallel to be drawn with sex work, which I think should be legal. Where it's like, this is something that should, air quotes, happen because someone really wants to do it. But if there's not someone around who really wants to do it, maybe a financial trade could work instead. Okay, what I think is really fascinating about that, 
when it comes to babysitting, that's your little baby. And so I want someone to shower her with love that feels really, really natural. Just like sex work. You know, we want someone who wants to be there and like not just going through the motions. Yes. It's so difficult because it's like this very personal thing that you are paying for. I will say this though, that I was thinking about when, when you and I were texting last night about chatting and things. I, this mom that I'm still close with, I used to babysit her boys uh, every night, every Monday night for four years. And I would order Pinkberry to the house and the Pinkberry guys would go, is that my girl, Kylie? I was like, Shh, please, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I'm eating Pinkberry for dinner every Monday night. It's fine. But she is wonderful and her sons are great. And her husband had a 40th birthday party that she had planned. And I was going to take care of the boys that night. She called me and said, I need you to come over earlier. If you can, I fell, I hurt my arm and I need you to help me get ready for this party. I said, I'm on the way. I come over. She has stitches going from the outside of her face to the inside of her mouth. She has a black eye. And she was like, I need you to help me get into this dress and do my makeup right now. I say she's saying I need, she's like the nicest person. She was like, is this yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it it sticks out to me as this very tender moment where I did her makeup, I combed her hair, I helped her get into a halter dress. And ah. at, the, at the time I was like, girl, don't go. Like, just stay home. Yeah. Like, so now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, you planned this birthday. Yeah. Damn it, going, you're going and you will figure out everything later and it's fine. And that moment sticks out to me as this very special place where you don't want to ask a friend because they're too close and you don't want to ask a stranger because they're too far away. Enter this person who you trust, but you pay is close, but not. And that's who I was to her at the time. What are the societal shortcomings and the failings in society that this relationship or this kind of situation exposes in your view? Do I don't have time to like even (laughs) I, you know, being a mom now, I realize I would have been completely fulfilled to stay at home with my, with my daughter completely. I wouldn't have needed to do anything else at all. That would have been an awesome thing to stay at home with her. That is not the role that we live in. And, you know, we transitioned a long time ago from needing one income to be able to be a comfortable family. Um, and that's, that's difficult. And you just can't help but feel like I'm, I'm missing it. I always feel like I, I don't want to miss anything. And it's so difficult. As much as I believe that, I think that you're always going to need alone time and you're always going to want to go, you know, sure. get a new phone or go to dinner with a friend. Like there's always going to be that area I feel for other people. But in terms of just, I should be able to make the choice. I think, I think anyone should, I think that that should always be a thing. I mean, another thing too, I think about with this in terms of shortcomings is I had a friend once ask me, oh, if I, if I get a babysitter, do I need to pay her? while my child is sleeping. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Because we were just talking about how even when your child is sleeping, yeah. Queen is like, how, when are they going to wake up? Are they, did, did they wake up? And it's like, wait, of course you do. <laughs> so on one side, I feel like, man, we shouldn't need this much childcare. And on the other side, I'm like, but the childcare we do get, we have to treat with respect because this is a terribly hard job. And it's yeah. so, they're sleeping. It's a job when they're awake, when they're in a good mood, bad mood, all of the above. There is a psychological labor element of child care that is besides that it's like, you know, exhausting in all sorts of other ways. It's really a lot of work in that department. You're on the entire time. There was a little girl yes. I for maybe, maybe it was like 25 hours a week, but it was all packed between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I was with her for like from seven to seven every day. And on that last day, I would go to my friends and we would get like Chipotle and like margaritas or whatever. And I remember it took me a moment to kind of get back into adult talking because for the last three days, it was just like, yes, hot. Yes, that is Kylie. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing for a second and of course it's really sweet but it takes a minute to come back to adult life 
So it's interesting that it is a job that is almost exclusively women. I know when I was in college and I was babysitting a lot, I had some girlfriends who would say, oh, I need money too. Uh, can you hook me up with a babysitting job? And of course, it was always girlfriends who I was like, absolutely not. You have not a caring, <laughs> nurturing bone in your body. Like, I want to go out with you and like hang out with you. But like, no, because like, I don't want you to be on my watch with this. And it's very strange because it's like, just because you have the breast to potentially feed a child does not mean that you have that that nurturing spirit inside of you. And many men do. So what have been the reactions? I mean, you published this amazing novel, Such a Fun Age, and it is from the point of view of someone who is the childcare provider. And it's, I mean, so much of the book stays with me so powerfully, but I'm really curious about the reactions and stories and random anecdotes post-publishing the book what, if anything, has changed in your perception of this kind of relationship, given the feedback you've gotten from people in the world? The the book tour, which was, I think, the last time that you and I saw each other and we had a really nice sushi dinner, which no, is cool. in person. The book tour was really special and tender in a way that I didn't anticipate. There were so many people just saying, this was my book that I read when I had a newborn and thank you. And now I know after having a newborn that the books you read when they're a baby really stick with you in a cool yes. way. Yeah, it's strange. It's like they get into your psyche. I just read Nora Ephron's uh, Heartburn. And it's like, I pair that with my daughter now in this way. And, and that's neat to think that someone can do that with my work as well. People were really honest and candid about saying, oh my goodness, like we have a babysitter too. And it made me think about our relationship with her as well. There were definitely people who came up to me at readings and were very defensive. Of, well, our maniac is part of the family. So just so you know, she really is. It's like, you need to work that out with your therapist. Um, but also, you know, I feel that what I took most from the way that people interacted with that relationship in the book is kind of something that I wanted to integrate into the book in the beginning, which was Alex's loneliness. Um, yes. Alex is the mom in, in my story and she moves to Philadelphia and she's lonely and there's this person in your house and she seems like fun and she's kind of elusive and you're interested in her. And I think so many people are so isolated and so lonely and that breaks my heart. And so that's when you want to like, you know, maximize like your relationship with someone. And so on one end, I'm like, that is a terrible idea. On the other end, I'm like, man, people, we should not be doing this alone. I feel like we are so lonely that there's way too much pressure. And I saw that from the book in certain people's comments, which was really fascinating. That and, you know, people would say sometimes, which really blew my mind, uh, $16 an hour, that's not bad. That's not bad. <gasps> and there's like, I'm not giving away any endings or anything, but Amira ends up with a a certain job at the end and people would say to me, oh, I'm so glad she got her happy ending. I'm so glad she got her happy ending. <gasps> I do not think it's a happy ending at all. And it was a very clarifying view of, it's a happy ending for her and that's good. For me, oh no, I'd kill myself. But for her, that's <gasps> That was something that I thought was very interesting, which is almost like what we were talking about before, which is this disrespect yeah. for domestic workers, which which should not, cannot survive because domestic work is so difficult and so needed. If if the pandemic showed us nothing else, it's it's that. Yeah. And I guess the other element that's so central to the book and is a I mean, at least in the United States, I would imagine many places around the world, there's an element of race in this dynamic for so many individual families and situations and people. I mean, you always hear about mothers whose children, the children look more white than the mother and people saying, oh, well, where are the parents? Or how long have you been with the family? How has your perspective on that since the book came out or maybe since being a parent, like how does that change this? dynamic and how is that reflect some of the societal failings that this is a little microcosm of? I think that 
more than anything that that touches on colorism in a way that I don't think is, is included enough. I think that a lot of people say like, oh, but you know, I would never do that. And I, this would never happen for my babysitter. Amira is a dark skinned woman with a light skinned child. And she has a different experience than, you know, I would have with the same child. And so I think that because of years, decades of slavery and injustice and colonialism, people assume that certain people are going to be beneath them in this way and taking care of their children and and having these jobs that they wouldn't deem to have. And I want to believe that, you know, we're going in a different direction, but I don't know if, I don't know if that's true. I think that you can't separate the the racial part of the domestic worker conversation as well. Right. It's, it's women of color who are seeing right. yeah, like the hardships of this. Right. So, okay. So tomorrow we wake up. Kylie is in charge of the universe or at that least our planet. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and what would you like, how would you change this custom? Okay. Okay. I know I'm not writing a novel, but like, I can't not like think in that like brain a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is like, well, one, I, if it was this utopia for childcare, I think that all childcare should be subsidized by the government. If you want yeah. people to have families, you should pay for them to have children at home. That is what should be happening. And then I imagine the novel side of me is like, what if there was some kind of matching program for, you know, personality and, or special needs values values across the board where maybe one childcare worker had two to three people that were their people. And that was it. And you go and bring them to that person and they have friends and there's big play dates and everything. And everyone is paid the way that they should be paid. I remember my old hairstylist was like, this is not like a, oh, I just do hair. Like every year I need to learn new skills. It would be a place where childcare workers are learning how to do new games about what children's bodies are doing, or, you know, they're taking classes on yeah. development and bettering themselves in that way as well. Like that's something, I think that would be the novel. <laughs> I was going to write childcare utopia novel. First of all, I'm reading, I would like to read that immediately. Um, and also, so a girlfriend of mine is from South Africa, and she was saying that there are restaurants where the parents have dinner and then like the kids play and they're carers and you just tip the carers to look after your children while you and your friends have dinner. And I was like, uh, <laughs> we, that, no, we do not have that. And we would like that. Is that a thing? <laughs> That's crazy. I've never heard of that. But like, of course, so smart. The parents- of course, so smart. Yes. So you can like have a linear conversation for like more than 30 seconds. Anyways, maybe those restaurants can also exist in this novel of utopian childcare. That, would, that was something too that when I was literally like not walking, like after my child's birth and things, the doulas taught me so much about how to, you know, swaddle her or how to hold yeah. her, her or um, that my, my breast milk is going to grow with her and like do different things and right. it's just for her. Those are things that I wouldn't have known otherwise. I see it as like in its best form as this mutually beneficial thing where you, the parent gets to provide the like test subject and the person gets to like, you know, um, activate all of their knowledge in, in real time on that little baby. Having a baby made me understand how little I knew about babies and how little, even after being a nanny and how little my, my yeah. girlfriend about babies too. Um, I had, I videotaped my stomach and my baby kick go. My baby kicks a lot, yeah. <laughs> just kicking, kicking, kicking. And I showed a friend and she was like, are you okay? Like, is this okay? Like, I didn't know. Yeah. That, like, do you need to go to the doctor? <laughs> like, is this normal? <laughs> and then I remember on my due date, all of my girlfriends were texting me being like, you got this. Have so much fun today thinking of you. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> like, she doesn't just like come on that day. And so it was that for two weeks because people were just like, oh, there's a date and we're America and it just comes on the date. And, and that's that. <laughs> no, totally. It's like that, right. You order something in the mail and if it doesn't get delivered, delivered, like, when do you expect? It's like, um, excuse me, doctor, I have the tracking number, but um, there's no delivery yet. So... <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, even after being a mom too, there's so many things every day that 
that I'm learning as well. And so I feel like in a utopia situation, it would just be learning all the time. And it's just, oh, you're holding your friend's kid at lunch or you're playing yeah. with your friends, whatever, like while they're doing their things. It's not so like there's I feel like now there's so much pressure behind it. I had a really favorite student of mine come over and I wanted him to hold my baby and I could tell he was nervous and I was nervous. And I yeah. just feel like in another world that it shouldn't be so much pressure behind yeah. it. Yeah. The best piece of parenting advice I I think I got my really close friend of mine that I grew up with is a child psychologist or child adolescent psychologist. And he said um, that he was at um, brunch with another family. And at the end of the brunch, the dad and the other family said, I noticed like your son, he speaks so well. And my friend's wife speaks Portuguese. And so he speaks two languages. And like, I was, you know, like my son's not, um, he, he doesn't have that many words yet. You know, they were like toddlers, like, and my friend said the whole time you were thinking that I was looking at your kids saying, wow, he's such a good eater. He eats all different kinds of food. My kid will only have, you know, French fries or whatever. And this idea that the thing you're worried about in your own child, like the thing that you're nervous about, you see highlighted in everyone else and you totally just ignore all the stuff they're doing well. But when you don't have the sample size of knowing 10 babies the same age, you don't see how it sort of averages out and some kids walk and some kids talk and some kids are really tall. And it seems like your baby or your child is the only one who isn't doing X, Y, and Z. Whereas if you knew a whole bunch of kids the same age, you know, really intimately knew them, not just like to say hello, but really had time together, you would see that nobody's doing everything their air quotes supposed to be doing. The first default is panic. It's always just like, yeah. where, where do I fall in line a little bit? And I remember when my little one was in, in my belly, I wanted to feel them. Obviously, you know, you're getting yeah. Anything and I thought well, there's something wrong. They're not moving. What's going on? Oh. And when they were moving, it was is this too much activity? Like, yeah, should we, is this okay? <laughs> like, there was never like a sweet spot. We're just not used to you know feeling our friend's belly all the time because we're not always with them and whatnot. And so yeah, completely. It's just it's it's all chaos on top of no sleep <laughs> a little bit. Yes, I do think about that with the really wonderful uh, child caregivers we've had so far, and that they've seen me when I've gotten up eight times at night, and they come over and I say, "Okay, I'm so sorry, but for the mess, can you take her? She's really into this book right now. Can you read it to her eight times?" Like they. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of when I was at the hospital after having my baby, the nurses were just so like, yeah, take off your, it doesn't matter. I don't care. This is right. We just want you to feel comfortable. I was like apologizing for myself and things. And they were like, no, 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 you just gave birth. This is what we're here to do. You be you and we will clean it up. And it was just so tender and special. And yeah, it was wonderful. I totally agree. I mean, the nurses who work in that department, that is just such a, a special um, moment. And when you have someone who comes in and has that like calming presence, that calming effect when you're like so bedraggled and frazzled and hormonal, it really is an amazing thing. It feels like it's something chemical in them. It's like, oh, you were doing exactly what you were meant to do. And I need that care right now too. Yeah. I so want to ask you just because I'm being nosy. Yeah. Have you ever had a caretaker that you had to say, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 not going to work. No, I mean, we have only really had three babysitters and they were, they've all been amazing. So I haven't had that. I haven't had that. Have you? I mean, first of all, I just want to say three babysitters over the course of five years. I think that's pretty like, like a, that's a world record. Um, we had one, we had one that it was not a fit in an interesting way for sure, because I think I might've told you about this. Uh, when they interviewed, my daughter was talking to herself and into like the corner of the room, just was babbling. And I said, you know, excuse her. She likes to talk to ghosts a little bit. And without missing a beat, the babysitter said, well, yeah, she was just on their side really recently. So she can communicate with her in a way that we can. 
like a little defensive <laughs> also talking about my daughter being oh. in a realm. And I was just like, oh, okay. No, it's totally, and like, that is a, if you want to go there, that is fine. But like, let's be like a little, it just felt like it was off. And she kept talking about my daughter's spirit and things. And it just wasn't a fit. Here's the thing though. I did have a doula who was a Reiki professional and mm-hmm. I had never done Reiki before, but I saw that it was like laying down and being calm, which I need to do. So I asked okay. her me and it was amazing. And she talked about, you know, trying to get bad spirits away and things like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, she would dance for my daughter. She held my daughter properly. She was amazing. One time I walked in the room and she, I did catch her brushing off bad spirits from my daughter's face. Here's the thing. If you take care of my daughter like this all the time, brush those spirits off. I do not care because you're so good at your job. Yeah. My daughter loved her. You know what I mean? So I was like, great. Wipe yeah. those bad spirits off her. Great. I missed one. Thank you so much. Like, I do not care. I just, I missed one. I just want to say that in the, like, talking about, like, seeing things through, like, a novelist's eye, the idea of you catching (laughs) her, like, just, like, the door opening and her, like, passing it off, like, she's doing some other little, like, oh, we were just doing the wheels on the bus, and you knowing (laughs) is really, like, cinematic to me. Yeah, I, it totally is. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can come back later if you guys are doing the things with this. Room. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I um, one really cool thing about having a baby, though, is it puts everything in perspective. I, I didn't see that yeah. before. It's like, I just finished the draft of my second novel and I'm really excited about it, of course. But now it's even more of like, look at my baby. I don't, I, I can't do anything less than what I think is good art here, even more than before. So like other people's words, obviously there's readers who I really trust who I'm like, okay, I need to listen to you. But I think that for some reason, like, I think this baby's going to make me make better art because I care less about things. And I think that it makes me more direct as well. And I think that we all try and be really, really nice all the time. I think it comes to, when it comes to our babies, being direct is actually better for everyone involved. My next guest is professor of sociology at Brooklyn College, Tamara Mose. If you had to describe this custom to an extraterrestrial, how would you describe (laughs) the idea that we give our young to someone else and what we ask of them and what we expect? Well, what would you say? (laughs) That's a funny one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so it's this concept of we allow strangers to take something that we think is the most precious thing to us, right? And it's under their care. Um, So I would explain to them that we birth this thing from inside of us. (laughs) Some of us garner something from somebody else and it's called a child and they are a lot to handle. But if we want to hunt and gather, or if we want to, to to be able to sustain our lives in any way, sometimes we need to leave that child behind. And so what we do is we give money, a piece of paper to other people so that they can watch these children for us. And we expect to come home at the end of the day and that child is unharmed for the most part your child is under good care. They are fed on time and they are able to sustain their lives just fine and grow up to be healthy adults. Um, But we do give this piece of paper to other people who we don't know. (laughs) And we try our best to get to know them in that time and have them be part of this idea of raising a child. That's the best I can do. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. And I mean, the paradox of this relationship is that sometimes they give your child something that you could never give them. I mean, I speak Spanish to this day, like pretty fluently because of this relationship. That's something my parents couldn't have given me. And it's a skill that I love to have and use. On some level, the more people who love your child and and care for them, the better for that child to have different perspectives and Mm -hmm. languages and, you know, points of view. 
childcare for most of human history was something that happened, you know, within a family, within a community, um, a village. And at some point, it became a profession. How and when did that did that change take place? And, and what does it reveal about the history of this country? So we started to see childcare become more systematized through enslavement, right? Through slavery, where uh, Black women, um, African women were uh, asked to take care, not asked, commanded to take care of the children of the masters, um, the master's wives, which are called mistresses at the time. And so they would be caring for these children, some of them being wet nurses, you know, breastfeeding the children, feeding the children, raising the children, playing with the children and so on. So for most of history until that time, I mean, in the world or just maybe, or is it in the history of this country? Like until that time, right, for most of history, Childcare, if it wasn't the parents, there were lots of other adults and older kids around and moms and grandmas who were sort of all sharing the child rearing in a family or a community. Is enslavement the moment that it becomes something that's outsourced to a person who is not otherwise considered part of the family? Well, I can't speak to all around the world, but certainly here in the U.S., that's when we started that. Um, We have operated in this vein of the, it takes a village to raise children. But I think when we started to see childcare become more systematized, it happened slavery. And so not much has changed today. There are more rights for domestic workers or childcare providers specifically, but a lot of times we see some parallels to enslavement when we look at childcare. It's majority people of color who are doing childcare for the elite class, even middle class folks. Um, You would tend to see more families rearing children of other families with the working class because they can't afford too much. So they tend to have cousins or aunts and uncles or other friends and family members in the community help to raise their children. But once you start to see the middle class who are going off to work, I mean, this is when we started to see the the, the, the further proliferation of childcare and paid childcare at that is once women started getting into the workforce. So women started leaving the homes, going into the workforce, and therefore they needed to start to outsource that, that childcare even further. And so that's when we started to see more immigrant groups, mainly women of color, being hired into these positions of paid childcare. And so again, we do see family and friends taking care of kids today as well, but we see more paid childcare now that we have an immigrant group that we can get that supply from essentially, right? Because they are in a subordinated position. They're not gonna ask for too much, but wages are very low for many childcare providers. For some, it's not. Um, they are trying to institutionalize childcare a little more now that we see care.com on the internet. There are other. Right, right, right. Right. So there's other sources now that are trying to make it more institutionalized in terms of making sure equal access to um, benefits or certain types of pay, certain types of vacation time or sick leave and so on. What do you think about this tension where it's like this job that requires this deep emotional connection and, I mean, love? I mean, it would be really hard to take care of a child and not love them, you know, on, I mean, maybe they drive you nuts and you're like ready for a drink on Friday evening, but like, it would be really hard to do that. That is a, that is a relationship and a job that sort of has to come from an emotional place. And like, it's how, I mean, what, there's got to be some very deep tension there about how it can be a job, but it's also one of the most like emotional, human, sacred experiences you know, taking care of a child, looking after them, feeding them, keeping them safe, getting them to fall asleep. It's a seems like another paradox. Yeah. So we would call that emotional labor. And, and that's the unpaid emotional labor that goes into this job where you are giving of yourself constantly. You are having to take somebody else's emotions into consideration. You are being monitored for your behavior constantly. 
unlike a workplace where you maybe have workers around you constantly observing you, oftentimes childcare providers are left alone with the child, um, but there is an expectation that that child will be cared for. So there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into caring for a child in this rubric of childcare provision. So what does the way the way that we do this profession, the way that we've arranged our society um, to do childcare and to raise children, what does it reveal about the other dynamics in the culture? Yeah, so I mean, there are a lot of things that we need to consider when when talking about childcare because it is very strange to have strangers taking care of this thing, this child, that yeah. is your prized possession. Um, so I think there are a lot of things that we could put in place, some checks and balances that we could put in place that would make this a more institutionalized profession. And uh, I use the word profession because I think it's something that we should start considering when we're talking about childcare. It's not something that you know, the 12 year old comes over to do, which is babysitting, right? When we're talking about right. child care, I mean, that's part of child care. But when we're talking about routine child care, it tends to be an adult. And I think we should treat them with respect in terms of that profession. So I think there are things that, that we could do. We could take care of um, making sure that they have adequate pay for the work that they do. So adhering at least to the minimum wage requirement, which is $15 an hour, um, and then also taking into consideration, are they taking care of two children, maybe three children? Right. That price should go up. Uh, do they have access to sick leave days? So when your child care provider has to go to the doctor or maybe they've had an accident or they're sick, maybe they got COVID, you know, how are they compensated during that time? And I think all of these things need to be laid out very clearly ahead of time. You know, do they get vacation days? Uh, do they get benefits? Maybe they get other benefits, healthcare benefits. Do they receive a, a, a mode of transportation card? So like a Metro card here in New York, you know, for the subways to get right. back and forth. There are different ways that people can compensate um, childcare providers in addition to their actual uh, hourly pay. So I believe that all of these things can be worked out between an employer and an employee. They can have a little contract between them that outline what is the expectation. A lot of times this work is made difficult because there is a lack of expectation um, that is written out. And we need to mm. have it written out in some form of a contract so that everyone is clear on what the boundaries are. Uh, you often hear people say, oh, my child care provider or my nanny is just like family. Well, they're not your family. <laughs> right. so they're not your family, you know. Um, and so if you're asking this person who's essentially a stranger in your family to begin with, if you're asking them to care for something that you pride yourself on, something that is supposedly your prized possession in, in life, um, then they should be adequately compensated and integrated into the community. What would you say to someone who is thinking about entering this profession? And what would you say to someone who is thinking, who is, you know, needs somebody to fill this role in their lives? What should each person think about before they get into this you know, this dynamic, um, what should they be aware of? I think there are a lot of things to be aware of. Um, being aware that your employer is not necessarily your friend or going to be um, compassionate towards you. Prepare yourself as best as possible. There are a lot of workshops on first aid, CPR, um, how to be a child care provider, how to access resources that might help you in terms of training to be a childcare provider. Your employers may not value the same things that you value. The other thing is to know your rights. So we have a bill of rights for domestic yeah. workers here in New York and in various states, there is this bill of rights. Have a discussion with your employer about those rights and what your expectations are. Um, even for those who are documented or undocumented, especially for those who are undocumented, they should know that they have rights yeah. too, regardless of their documentation. So, you know, they are able to get access to back pay if somebody did not pay them on time. They should know that legally they can do that. 
um, a lot of people fear deportation and so on. And I understand that to be a great concern for those in this profession. But at the same time, they should know that that is their right to get paid on time every time. So um, those are some of the things that I think uh, domestic workers should know going into the profession. If you were in charge tomorrow and you could remake this profession, this relationship, this part of society, how would you change it? What would you what's Mm -hmm. the best version of this that um, we could possibly have? Um, That all workplaces have a daycare center for the children of the employees and that everyone who is working with that child is able to have access to training adequate pay, health benefits, so that they don't have to worry about their own survival. Um, I think that would alleviate a lot of stress for a lot of people if we had that instituted. Uh, Other than that, in the community, we need to have adequate daycare centers as well um, for, for children and services for parents and caregivers who may be have any kind of mental health crisis that they're going through as well. And I think the other thing that we need to we need to really consider that we don't talk about often is um, a lot of folks have children with disabilities. I have a child with Down syndrome, and it's very hard to find somebody who you might think would be good for your child in terms of childcare. I've had the same person since before he was born, thankfully. Wow. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and um, and she's been amazing, and and while she does feel like family, she's not family, and I need to really uh, honor that, and so I make sure that she's adequately paid, um, that she has time off during COVID. She wasn't coming to the house, but I was still paying her because my job didn't stop. I was still getting paid, so I continued to pay her as well. Um, And I think if more people thought like that and actually, you know, helped people to understand that their kids are going to come with different abilities and we need to be sensitive to that and train people for that, it would be helpful, I think, across the board for different types of parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. How much do you think that the reason that we don't consider it this like lofty, um, celebrated profession is because it has historically been women of color doing it? Is like is that the is that the reason? Is there some other dynamic at play, or is it because no, that of is our the reason racism <laughs> and sexism that we don't consider it's this, all of like, that this yeah. high art. Yeah, it's all of that. It is racism. It is sexism. Um, you don't see a lot of men doing childcare here um, in the U.S. or around the world necessarily. Um, and you do see a lot of women of color doing this type of work because they are thought of in this subordinated position and they are treated as such as well. Then you throw on top of that the layer of immigration status um, and depending on who the person is and what their documentation looks like, that's an added layer of subordination. So yes, we, we see an issue with why certain rights have not been passed or certain bills have not been passed through Congress regarding childcare providers, why there aren't certain resources available to them because it is seen as this type of easy work that anybody can do, but really not anybody can do. (laughs) And therefore we can pay them whatever we want to pay them. And the only way to keep the economy going in their perspective in the on a political level the only way to keep it going is to underpay and so as long as we're underpaying and under resourcing certain groups of people then we can keep childcare um below the standards that we expect workers to get paid and treated even though it's the hardest and most important job imaginable absolutely mm-hmm. 
most of the time that I'm in here in my closet talking to you, a wonderful, brilliant young woman named Elena has been downstairs looking after my two children. We are extremely lucky that we met her sort of by chance and that she was willing to come work for us a few afternoons a week. Over the last year, she has finished graduate school studying, well, children. And I have learned so much from her. My children adore her, and so do we. When I first met her, she mentioned that when she was an undergraduate student, she volunteered at a crisis nursery. I had never heard of such a thing. She explained that it was a place where people could bring their children in a crisis, a health emergency, when there was the threat of violence, when they had nowhere else to go. The children would be fed, given clean clothes, and cared for. My first thought was, what a brilliant idea. We need these everywhere. But as we talked, it became clear how much this was a Band-Aid. Yes, Band-Aids are okay, certainly better than nothing. We do need them. But we also have to understand why we're bleeding. Since that first conversation, Elena and I have often talked about the kind of society we might have if all parents had better options had more support, more resources, more opportunities to learn the skills required for raising children. We have moved so far away from the communal life in which we used to raise children. But we still live in communities. They're just often much bigger. Neighborhoods, cities, whole nations. There must be a better way in these larger modern communities to join forces, to instill the next generation with all the wisdom and love that they deserve. Something to think about next time you hear somebody say, it takes a village. Thank you so much to Kylie Reed, best-selling author of Such a Fun Age, and Come and Get It, which comes out in January. And thank you so much to Professor Tamara Mose of Brooklyn College, author of Raising Brooklyn, Nannies, Child Care, and Caribbean's Creating Community, as well as The Playdate, Parents, Children, and the New Expectations of Play. Join me next time for the season finale of Strange Customs when I get to talk to artist Dario Robletto about some of the biggest questions our species has ever had. In my young boy mind, I assumed they meant NASA had made contact with aliens. Our theme music is by Evgeny Klemenko. Additional music in this episode by Spear Fisher and Blue Dot Sessions. My producer is Dale McGowan. Strange Customs is a production of Only Sky Media. Visit us online at onlysky.media slash strangecustoms. Tune in next time for more Strange Customs.